Uh, would you open your Bibles this morning uh, to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. We're continuing in our series on the words of life from the book of Proverbs. And as we do that, would you bow your heads again with me and let's ask for God's blessing and his help as we do this. Let's pray together. Lord, we've sung about you, we've, we've listened and we've read your word and we've proclaimed how great you are. And now we come before you, God, with our Bibles opened. We ask that as we've opened our Bibles, would you open our hearts to that same word? Would you meet with us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us. We believe, we, by faith, we trust that your word is unchanging, it is true, and it is good. So would you help us to receive it this morning? Spirit, would you minister it to us? Help us to see it rightly. Give me strength to speak it rightly and well. And would you bring it to our lives, we pray. We pray all this in Jesus' name, to whom we look. Amen. Amen. I want to begin uh, this morning with another parable from the parables of Emmaus. Uh, Mike Bulmore, in his preaching through Proverbs, has begun every sermon with a story, a parable. And I actually had a conversation with someone this week who said, are these from the Bible or, or where are they from? I had to tell them, no, they are not from the Bible. Uh, these are not written down somewhere. These are just made up by uh, Pastor Bulmer every week. And so I'm going to try to do my best this morning with uh, adding to his parables. And so uh, another parable of Emmaus this morning. So you might remember 13-year-old uh, Jonathan, his father, Joseph bar Ephraim, the blacksmith, he talked to Jonathan about sometimes answering a fool and sometimes not answering a fool. And the fool in question was Jonathan's friend named Matthew, who was a little older than him. He's 15 years old. Well, that summer, like a lot of his friends, Jonathan went to work in the fields to help harvest summer crops. Jonathan got a job working for Mr. Simeon Ben Aaron, who owned several fields just outside of town. They worked in teams, picking vegetables and fruits, uh, loading them onto a cart pulled by a donkey. It was hard work, and that summer was extra hot. And after a few days, Jonathan noticed a group of three boys working another part of Mr. Simeon's field, who seemed to laugh a lot while they worked. He noticed his friend Matthew was part of that group of three boys, so he walked over and asked if he could join their group, and they welcomed him in. Now, this group did laugh a lot which made the hours pass more easily. But they also complained fairly often about the work. And for their own amusement, they would make fun of people sometimes in the other groups. And sometimes they complained that Mr. Simeon expected too much and didn't know how to manage his field. This talk made Jonathan uneasy, but he decided he would simply avoid complaining and he would be okay. 
Once in a while, the boys also played tricks on the other groups. One time when a group was, another group was taking a water break, Matthew hid that group's wagon in another field. The group searched for over an hour before they could find it. Jonathan knew these antics were crossing a line, but he justified it to himself that he wasn't the one doing the tricking. And later he would laugh about it with the others. A few days later, he caught himself complaining and criticizing Mr. Simeon. But again, he brushed aside his concerns. After all, it was good to just be one of the guys, and they generally got their work done. One day, the four boys took a lunch break beside the field under a big shady tree. They unhitched their donkey and tied him to the tree. After eating and resting a while, the boys grew a little bored. Jonathan had been watching a hornet's nest on a low branch on the other side of the tree. An idea came to him that he thought would be funny to say to the others. Hey guys, what if we tied Mr. Simeon's donkey to that, to that hornet's nest? That would be exciting. The other three boys laughed and a little bit to Jonathan's surprise, they jumped into action. With Jonathan looking on, Matthew took the donkey's rope, cautiously climbed the tree, and somehow managed to gently loop it around the nest and tie a knot. As soon as Matthew had jumped down, one of the other boys gave the donkey a good smack. And when it bolted forward, the nest ripped easily from the branch and landed with a crunch next to the donkey. Instantly, a cloud of angry hornets went on the attack. The donkey bolted into the field, zigzagging all over it in terror. Never had they seen that donkey move so fast. The boys, meanwhile, had no time to watch as they immediately scattered in all directions, trying to evade their attackers. The braying donkey and the running boys caused quite an uproar. Other workers tried to intervene but were stung. Each of the boys was stung at least a dozen times before it was over. And it took the rest of the afternoon to calm the donkey down and let the field clear of buzzing hornets. Well, needless to say, Mr. Simeon was not happy. At the end of the day, the four aching boys and some of their parents met with him outside his barn to explain what happened and to apologize. They agreed to work extra days after the summer to pay him back for the extensive damage to his field and his harvest. It would take weeks for the donkey to go near the fields again. After a talk with his parents, Jonathan lay in bed that night. As he thought over the incident that day, he wondered how he had gotten himself into such a mess in the first place. Why had he come up with such a foolish idea? Why didn't he stop his friends when he had the chance? He knew he couldn't blame anyone else for suggesting the idea and letting it happen. He thought also of his recent habit of complaining and was aware of a bad attitude about work he had developed. He knew that was wrong too. Worse than the hornet stings was the feeling of having let down Mr. Simeon and his parents. But in all honesty, part of him had felt miserable at work for weeks. He was tired of the complaining and being unkind to other people. He was tired of hearing Mr. Simeon ridiculed by the boys in his group. After all, it was Mr. Simeon who had given him a job in the first place and who had forgiven Jonathan 
a short while ago. He was a good man. A proverb his mother had quoted when he was younger came back to mind. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. As he lay there, he resolved that tomorrow he would find a new group to work with, and that gave him a little feeling of hope. Here ends the parable. One of the frequent topics in the book of Proverbs is friendship. Uh, Proverbs talks a lot about it. It has a very high view of it. It loves to talk about the value of friendship. One writer writing about Proverbs said, There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept as the book of Proverbs. Several Proverbs talk about the value of friendship. Proverbs commends the value of a faithful friend. Proverbs commends the value of a friend in times of adversity. Proverbs calls us to value and protect friendships by not gossiping. We heard about that. Proverbs calls us to be faithful to our friends and to often overlook their faults. Friendship is so valuable. I think we all value friendship as well. We love our friends. Uh, we love having a friend. Who, who isn't interested in friendship? But I think at the same time, we can be a little bit sensitive about the topic of friendship. A friendship is something that happens naturally. Uh, we've all made a friend. We know how this works. Uh, we got this. Don't, don't bother us about instructing us about how to have a friend or telling us about what our experience of friendship should be. Or maybe you feel like you're part of the statistic that I read this week that says that 25% of Americans say they don't have a close friend in whom they can confide. Maybe for you the topic of friendship is a little bit discouraging, which only underscores how valuable it is for all of us. 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle says, This world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. I love that statement he makes about friendship. It halves our troubles and doubles our joys. So true. Not only does Proverbs talk about the value of friendship, but it talks about the power of friendship. Friendships are powerful. Friendships have the power to change us in ways that few other things can. And because of that, Proverbs gives us some crucial help when it comes to handling this powerful gift. That's the kind of help we have in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Would you look at this scripture with me? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That word companion could also be translated friend. It comes from the same word. In fact, some English translations say the friend of fools will suffer harm. So it's a pretty straightforward proverb, isn't it? If you're walking with, if you 
spend time with wise people, you will grow in wisdom. If you spend time with foolish people, you'll suffer harm. You'll suffer for it. The main point of this proverb, the thing that's encouraging in us, is to choose friendships that will help us grow in wisdom. Choose friendships that will help you grow in wisdom. So I want us to look briefly at the two parts of this proverb. The first line is an opportunity, and the second line is a warning. And after that, we'll look, talk about how to apply this to our lives. So let's look at the opportunity and at the warning in this proverb for us. The opportunity is this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. I think we adults often look at this as a proverb for children because they're at a point in life where they're meeting so many new people. They're making so many new relationships, even into young adulthood. But this proverb offers this opportunity to everybody. It says young and old, mature and immature, come and walk with the wise. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. All of us are invited to walk. Walking is an image that is common in Proverbs. I want you to flip back with me to chapter 1 of this book. Proverbs chapter 1. Solomon begins the book by urging his son not to be enticed by sinners, but to listen to wisdom. And so down at, chapter, uh, down at verse 15, uh, he is talking about the path of the foolish, the path of sinners. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So there, there is a path of the foolish, to walk on. But look at the next chapter, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 20. He's talking about a different path here. He's talking about the path of wisdom, the path of the righteous. So he says in verse 20, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. There's a path of the foolish, but there is a path of the righteous. There's a path that has been walked on for a long time by the wise. And we're invited to this opportunity to walk with them. Walking is a picture of how we live our lives, how we spend our days and weeks and months and years. And we're invited to live that on the path of wisdom. Over and over, Proverbs urges us to get wisdom. How do we do that? How do we get wisdom? Well, it tells us to read this book. Read the book. Hear the words. Receive these words of wisdom. Proverbs says we can learn from others like wise parents, the words of wise parents. We can observe the outcome of other people's foolishness, and we can learn from that, says Proverbs. We can even watch ants and gain wisdom. But here in our proverb in chapter 13, verse 20, it presents us with a great opportunity. If you want wisdom, spend time with wise people. Walk on this path of the wise. Many have walked it before you. Many are walking it now. Walk with them. And as we walk with the wise, the power of friendship will be at work. We will be influenced by the way they talk. We'll be influenced by what they love and what they don't love. We'll be influenced by how they spend their time and how they spend their money. We'll be influenced by how they treat other people, by the, how they honor God. I remember as a college student going on a mission trip one summer, 
And uh, the mission trip was great, but one of the best parts about it was watching this young, godly family be a family in, in, in a new place. They were uh, having to figure out new rhythms of life and how do they encourage each other, how do they deal with young kids in a strange place. And, and I just loved watching them, and I was absorbing everything I could. I was walking with this wise family that summer, and things from that summer stayed with me a long time that helped me down the road. The Proverbs counsels us, get alongside people like that and benefit from the power of wise friendship. The second line of the proverb is a warning. There's another path that we can go down, isn't there? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Companions are valuable. God says it's not good for man to be alone. No no one wants to be alone. We all want companions. Life is more fun with companions. But remember, beware. Companions are powerful. And foolish companions are dangerous. It's not only that being a companion of fools makes us into a more foolish person, but that we will suffer the results of their foolishness as well. We'll suffer both for the st- we'll suffer stings for both our folly and the folly of foolish friends. So how do we recognize a foolish companion? What does a foolish companion look like? Well, the whole book of Proverbs is aimed, of course, at showing us what is folly and what is wisdom. But there are some specific places where it shows us a foolish companion. One extended warning is found in Proverbs chapter 5. I just listen as I read from verses 3 to 5. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path of Sheol. So one foolish companion is a man or woman who wants to lure us, to entice us into sexual sin. That would be a a foolish companion indeed. But there are other examples. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22? I want to show you another example. I think you'll see the connection very clearly. Proverbs chapter 22. Look at verse 24 with me. Proverbs 22 verse 24. It says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare, a foolish companion. Look at the very next chapter in Proverbs 23. Look down at verse 20. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Once again, look at the next chapter. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 21. There's three of these right in a row. Proverbs 24, verse 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. So foolish friends are like these, people who lead us, who entice us, who would sway us into foolish and sinful behavior. It might be things like adultery. It might be things like 
drunkenness. Or it might be less obvious sins like a tendency to become quick-tempered or lacking self-control. They might influence us with an attitude like rebelliousness toward God and toward authority. The results are pretty consistently bad. Snare, poverty, rags, ruin, bitterness, death. The result of foolishness is consistently bad and painful. See, foolish friends ultimately undo the blessing of friendship. Foolish friends cut in half our joys and they double our sorrows. And the God, God in his kindness wants to keep us from that. You see, friendship is a beautiful gift. It's a valuable gift. But friendship is a powerful gift. It, we need that power. We need the help that friendship, the influence that friendship is meant to give. But God calls us to give priority to friendships that will help us grow in wisdom and keep us from calamity. So that's the proverb. Let's now think about how does God want us to apply this to our lives today? How should we apply this wisdom from the book of Proverbs to our lives? I want to give us three ways to do that. The first way is that the wisest friendship we can have is to be the friend of God. The wisest friendship we can have is to be the friend of God. Jesus was called the friend of sinners. He spent time with prostitutes and tax collectors, and the Pharisees said, look, he's not following wisdom. He's being unwise. He's disregarding. He's a friend to sinners when he should avoid them. But thank God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Thank God for my sake, for your sake, for the sake of the world, that Jesus is a friend to sinners, to fools, so that we might become wise. He came to earth and lived among us. He lived the perfectly wise life that we might become wise as well. At one point in his ministry, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15, I no longer call you servants, but you are my friends. This was an amazing statement. Abraham had been called a friend of God, yes, but that's, that was Abraham. Who can be like Abraham? And yet here is Jesus saying to his disciples, you're following me, you are my friends, friends of the Son of God. And he said to them in that same chapter, there is no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus did that. He laid down his life for his friends. He gave his life for us so that we could enter into restored relationship with God. You will never experience a more undeserved honor than God welcoming you into friendship. There's no greater honor than that. You will never experience a more transforming and life-changing experience than walking with God in relationship through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we get to have the privilege of that kind of life-transforming, wisdom-giving relationship. His words counsel us. The Holy Spirit convicts and guides and dwells with us. The example of Jesus shapes us and makes us wise. We have that amazing privilege, that kind of relationship through Jesus Christ. Oh, let us never take that for granted. 
Walk with the wise by walking with the only wise God. If you don't have that kind of relationship with God, if you uh, wonder what it would be like to walk with God, come to Jesus, who is a friend to sinners. He welcomes the foolish, all of us, into fellowship. And he will indeed make you wise. Secondly, walking with the wise is a call to realism about ourselves. Walking with the wise is a call to realism about ourselves. This this proverb is not a call to completely abandon relationships with foolish people. This is not a biblical excuse to become snobby or aloof. But it is a call to realism about ourselves. It's a call to recognize that we are not as strong as we think we are. We need to be soberly aware that we are more influenced by our choice of companions than we probably suspect. And of course, the closer someone is, we know from experience, the more influential they are in our lives. I remember years ago, one of the lay elders describing his counsel to his teenagers as they were entering high school. Basically, he said, don't be afraid to make friends with anyone. Classmates, people on the sports teams, everyone, whether they're wise or foolish, be friendly. Build relationships. Um, Be a good classmate. Be open to relationships, knowing that you're a witness for Christ. But, but be very wise about those with whom you most entrust yourself to. Be very wise about the deepest bonds of friendship that you form. He encouraged his kids, the closer the friendship, the more they should be aimed at growing in godly wisdom through Christ. Find those people. Build close friendship with them. That's great counsel for all of us, isn't it? Make your closest friends those who will help you grow in godly wisdom. In our age, we need to consider this more broadly, too. We make companions of people on radio and internet and podcasts and YouTube channels. We bring their voices and their images into our lives on a regular basis. Sometimes we spend hours, in some cases, with these people every week. And sometimes those are wise companions. And sometimes, let's be honest, many of them are foolish. It's possible to get so caught up in a topic or news source, or entertaining show that we fail to recognize the influence on our character towards worldliness, towards being argumentative, towards unbelief, or even rebelliousness. Folks, let me tell you, wisdom is so worth putting off those companions for. Wisdom is so worth getting rid of foolish companions for. So pursue wisdom. You know, the other side of realism about ourselves is what kind of a friend am I? What kind of a friend am I for my friends? Am I encouraging them in foolishness and therefore leading them towards harm? Or am I helping them to walk wisely with God? What am I offering friends? You know, it should be motivating to us. We can be a really good friend by growing and wisdom. That should, that should motivate us to grow, thinking about how we can help our friends be spared from harm and to experience the blessings of wisdom. So God, help me grow. 
because I want to be a really good friend. Thirdly and finally, walk with the wise people of this church. Walk with the wise people of this church. If we have learned anything in the last five months, we've learned how valuable our connections are with one another, haven't we? I I don't know what you experienced last April and May, but I felt the lack of regular and full connection with wise brothers and sisters in this church. I, I, I felt it. I missed it. And how refreshing it is to be among the church again, just to go for a walk with a crossway friend, just to, just to sit in the driveway with some uh, gospel community members, to come here on a Sunday morning and, and see at least a good portion of the church. What a refreshing, what a steadying thing for us and for me. And here you are today. You having the un- somewhat uncomfortable and inhibiting experience of wearing a mask for the whole service, but you're here. You're here. Or you can't be here, but you're faithfully watching at home, and you're wanting to return as soon as you can. Folks, I, I commend you for that. I commend you for being here or wanting to be here as soon as you can, to be walking among the wise, and to be someone who can be walked with can be a steadying presence for others. So let me ask, aside from COVID restrictions, how's your connection been with the wise people of this church? Are you seeing this as an, a program to just anonymously attend? Or are you starting to build relationships? Are you looking for where you can get close to wise people, to walk with them, to walk in relationship with people here? Folks, there's a great big opportunity right around you. We've said this before, that the greatest resource in this church is not our our money or our building or our programs. The greatest resource is the people around you, one another, with whom God invites us to come and walk and grow in wisdom. So that means time together. It means conversations and hospitality. It might mean opening up your lives, even during this time, to some new people, meeting them outside, uh, reaching out to people you haven't seen in a while. How are you doing? Um, Let's keep walking together, walking with the wise. Let's find ways to persevere in walking together, even though we are inhibited right now. Let's find ways to have those conversations, to to do hospitality, to to persevere in this, to build relationships over time, to find meaningful relationships fellowship and to give ourselves to that. Crossway, the Proverbs are not kind of one-size-fits-every situation type of things. It takes wisdom to apply these to our individual lives. But let us continue to help one another. And despite every challenge and adjustment we have to make to church life, let us not stop walking with the wise. Let us never give up walking with one another until we all come to the fullness that God has for us one day. In Jesus' name, let it be. Amen. Would you bow with me and let's pray for that. God, you have called us to this. You've called us to walk with the wise. And we are aware of foolishness in our own lives. We're aware of 
foolishness that we have been for other people. We confess that. And God, we ask that you would help us to grow in wisdom for our sakes and for other people's sakes. And God, would you make us a wise church? Would you make this a place where people can come and find wisdom? They can find examples. They can find a path to walk on that is good and right and pleasing to you. God, would you make us open to the people around us? Grow us in relationships, God. Keep us from being satisfied only with the people we presently know. Help us, Lord, to be open to new relationships. God, would you call others to the path of wisdom? And would you guard all of us by your truth, which never changes? Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us and for having a plan for each one of us that you would grow us. You will make us wise one day. We thank you for that promise. Help us to follow you faithfully, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and thank God for walking alongside us through everything and um, just befriending us and giving us a personal relationship with him so we can have wisdom like him.
take a seat. What a friend we have in Jesus. If there's one thing I think we need today, it's to be reminded of that. I think hope is lacking today, in in our day. Uh, But I want to remind us where hope can be found. I want to read from Romans 15, verse 13, as we leave in just a moment. Listen to these words. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You'll be dismissed by Rose in just a moment, but my prayer is as you go, we'll remember there's hope in Jesus. What a great friend we have. You are loved. Have an excellent week. Amen. Messiah came as mortal man with mortal blood and tears. He felt the tempter's constant lies whisper sweetly in his ears. With tears he shed in grief and pain for a world found trapped in sin. Real blood he shed in love and grace to bring new life again. Oh, that perfect deity born upon the earth. He took on flesh like all of us and lived to be a curse. I trust the God with human scars who bled unselfishly. He set aside his royal robes to buy new clothes for me. Scars blend unselfishly.